So how's the fast going this week? Better. Okay. Good. Good. Getting uh, getting acclimated to this, huh? A little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I thought about it as, as Larry was was sharing uh, and, and just saying how you know hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about this, share some things. I thought you know what a great time to do that would be when we celebrate the the burning of our mortgage. Uh, when we have that celebration and have a picnic outside to just spend some time, uh, I think we're going to have a campfire to, to, to burn that mortgage, and uh, what a great thing to just sit around the campfire and share how God has moved, how God has answered prayer, and how God has spoken through His Word to us as we've given Him more attention. One of the characteristics of every great revival whether it was in this country and other, or other places around the world, one of the, one of the characteristics is there's extraordinary prayer. In other words, there are the, God's people are spending extra time in prayer than what is normal or ordinary for them. And my hope is that as we've been engaging in this challenge and spending time setting aside something, whether it's a meal or or, or some other thing, and dedicating that time to prayer, we're spending extra time, extraordinary time, seeking the face of God. God moves when His people take that seriously. So I'm looking forward to hearing how God has been working. Would you join me as we pray and ask for God's help as we look into His Word this morning? Our gracious Father, we come before your throne of grace today. We come in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you hear our prayers. We're asking today for you to remove any distractions that may be floating around in our minds, things that might keep us from paying attention today to Your Word. And Lord, particularly for those who are watching online, there are so many things that go on in our homes while we're watching this and, and participating in this service from home that can be distracting. So God, I pray for them that there would be the removal of of all of those things that could potentially distract. Maybe a phone call. Maybe somebody coming to the door or something happening. God, that you would just protect this time. That we might be engaged in your word. We'll thank you again for hearing this prayer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. I heard a story many, many years ago of a world-renowned golfer who had been invited to, by the king of Saudi Arabia to come and play golf in his country. And this golfer went and played golf there. And the king was so impressed with this golfer's ability to play golf that he offered, he said to this man, I want to give you a gift of appreciation for coming to our country. And the golfer said, you know what, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to come and play in your country. And the king insisted, no, 
I'm going to give you a gift. And not only am I going to give you a gift, you get to, to decide what gift I give you. And the golfer was kind of caught off guard and had only a moment to think about it. So he said, well, how about a, how about a golf club? You know, thinking maybe the king would give him a, a gold-plated golf club or a, a club that had a, a jewel that was precious in it that, that he could put in his trophy case along with all these other things that he had won through the years. Well, a few days went by and the king's representative came to the, the golfer's hotel room to present the gift. It was about one foot long in a leather pouch. And he thought, boy, this is going to be a small golf club. When he opened it, it was the deed to a golf club. An entire 18-hole championship country club. Some time later, when that golfer was interviewed about this experience, he made this comment. In the presence of a great king, you do not ask for small gifts. In the presence of a great king, you do not ask for small gifts. You and I have the incredible privilege to approach the great King of Kings, the King of all the universe, and make our requests. So what are you asking for? How big is your prayer? A prayer, whether it's a company with fasting or not, we know is not about getting what we want. It's not about getting God to do for us what we want Him to do. Prayer is about a relationship with God in which we get to know Him. We get to know what His Word says. We get to know how God operates. We get to know what is on the heart of God. And we can form our lives and we can form our thoughts and we can form our prayers to that will. So how big are your prayers? Are we asking for stuff that just, if we get it, it will just go away when this world is over? Are we asking for things that are just temporary, or are we asking for things that are eternal? Are we asking for things that impact the spiritual lives of people or our own? Are we asking for things that only God can do? See, we have the privilege to come into the presence of the great king. We don't ask for small gifts. Daniel's praying for a big thing. In Daniel 9, and last week we started looking at this prayer of Daniel. We, we looked at the, at the one aspect of the contrast, and that is that, that Daniel was focusing upon who God is. Today we want to look at the other side of that contrast of who we are, who people are. And then we want to look at what it is that Daniel actually requested from God. Would you open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Daniel chapter 9? Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to read the the whole prayer, verses 1 through 19. Again, last week, we looked at the context. Uh, that this was in the first year of Darius, the new king. Things were changing in the kingdom. 
Daniel goes to the word of God and realizes from the prophet uh, Jeremiah that, that God said in 70 years after he sent them into Babylon, into captivity, after 70 years he was going to deliver them back uh, as they called upon him from their hearts. And Daniel realizes it's been 66 years. It's almost time. And so he sets his attention to the Lord. He gives his attention to seek the face of God. And he begins by acknowledging God. So let's, let's look at this. Daniel 9, 1 through 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Midian descent, he was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which were revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention the Lord God, to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. We've sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to thy servants, the prophets who spoke in thy name, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to thee, O Lord, but to us open shame. As it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, thus, all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which thou hast driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against thee. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers because we've sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he has set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed thy law and turned aside, not obeying thy voice. And so the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words which he has spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to thy truth. Therefore, our Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who has brought thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has made a name for thyself, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with thy righteous acts, let now thine anger and thy wrath turn away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. For because of our sins and our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a reproach to all those around us. 
So now, now, O our God, listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications for thy sake, O Lord. Let thy face shine on thy desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by thy name. We are not presenting our supplications before thee on account of any merits of our own, but on account of thy great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for thine own sake, O my God. Do not delay, because thy city and thy people are called by thy name. prayer of Daniel. At the end of this 70 years of desolation, of God's judgment and punishment upon his people, he cries out, O oh Lord, hear our prayer. Again, last week we saw the, the beginning of this contrast, right? The great and awesome God who, who keeps covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commands. The one who is righteous and just in all his ways. He was completely just in sending them off to Babylon for 70 years. But he's also the compassionate and forgiving God who extends mercy and grace to those who do not deserve it, but greatly desire it. Well, today we want to look at the contrast. What does he say about his God's people? The sinful and rebellious people. Verse 5, we've sinned. Committed iniquity, acted wickedly, rebelled. Turned aside from your commandments and ordinances. We've not listened to the voice of your servant. Open shame belongs to us. There are so many times throughout this prayer where Daniel acknowledges the sin of the people. I want to focus upon verses 5 and 6 and the different words that he uses here because they tell us important things about sin, different kinds of sin. The word sin means simply to miss the mark, to wander from the, from the way, to move off of the path. It's the principal word for sin. And this word in the Hebrew is, is the equivalent to the Greek word that, that we see in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It means simply to miss the mark. We've fallen short of the perfect standard. And we're all in the boat together. None of us live up to God's perfect standard, God's perfection. We've all missed the mark. But then he says we've also committed iniquity. This word means to bend, to twist, to distort to act perversely. There's an element of truth, but it's twisted. 
perverted in some way. Maybe not even on purpose. It's taking a, a verse of Scripture out of its context and using it for your own purposes to make it say whatever you want it to say. Distorting the Word of God. Element of truth, but not used the way God intended. Thirdly, then, there is the fact that they acted wickedly. It means to act wrong, to be godless. Doing what is contrary to God, but not necessarily always knowing it. So the idea behind this word is not that it was an intentional act, simply that you act or someone acts in a godless manner. We can do this and not even know it. We can do things that aren't even, that are contrary to the word of God, but because we don't know the word that well, we may act in a way. Certainly people all over the place are acting godlessly, not necessarily intentionally, just unknowingly. And I'm sure Israel did that. And then the word rebelled. To revolt. To defy authority. A willful decision to do what is wrong, that is to disregard God. It's basically saying, God, I know what you say. I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do. Shaking our fist in God's face. That's the idea here. You see the progression downward to, to miss the mark and then to distort truth, to take truth, but, but to twist it a little bit. The enemy is master at that. Then to act in ways that are contrary to God, but maybe, maybe not even realizing it. But then there's, yeah, I know what I'm doing, but I don't care. I don't care what God says. I've even heard people say, well, I know that's what the Bible says, but I don't, I don't think it's right. As if God got it wrong, right? And we know better. What causes this kind of behavior and this kind of downward progression in our lives. He says, even turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. As I was reading in commentaries, they were saying that the way that this is constructed, and again, I don't, I don't understand Hebrew uh, very well. I had one class, uh, one, uh, three semesters of Hebrew back, back in the day, and uh, I don't remember much at all about it. Um, but uh, they say that that the way this is construction is that this is different than these other words and that it gives an explanation as to how these things happen. And so basically they've turned aside from the revealed will of God, revealed word of God. They had their access, the first five books of the Bible, the, the Torah, the, the, the books of Moses. They turned aside from it. They've not given heed to what God has said and revealed in His Word. Because of that, they've committed all these kinds of sins. 
Somebody once said, to disregard God's word is the beginning of all moral disorders. When you and I do not make the reading, the studying, the, the understanding of God's word a priority in our life, it's only a matter of time before any and all of these things become part of our life. They disregarded, they turned aside from the revealed will of God. And then verse 6, he says, Moreover, you've not listened, or we have not listened. Daniel puts himself in this place. He says, We have not listened to thy servants, the prophets who spoke in your name. He spoke to the kings, the princes, our fathers, and all the people. All of us have heard the message. You remember week when we looked at Jeremiah, and Jeremiah talked about the fact that year after year after year after year, God would send prophets to come and tell the people, here's what you're supposed to be doing, but you're doing this. Stop doing that. Turn back to me. If you don't stop doing that, I'm going to bring calamity. I'm going to bring destruction. I'm going to bring judgment. Don't do this. If you keep doing it, if you keep doing it, they kept doing it. And God said, okay. Not only do we need to be in the Word of God for ourselves, but we need to be under the Word of God, under the hearing of the teaching and preaching of God's Word. We all need that. It's not that those of us who stand in pulpits or in behind lecterns and teach and preach the Word of God are any better than anyone else. No. It's that some of us have been set aside by God and called to, to explain the Word of God. We all need to be taught by others who are walking with God and who are hearing what God has said and discerning what the truth is and, and explaining it. Sometimes we can read something in the text, but because of our own biases, we don't see what God may be wanting us to see because we dismiss it. It doesn't fit into our context. It may be, maybe unconsciously because we don't want to hear it, we don't see it. Well, then someone else can speak it to us and we hear it differently. Oh, okay. It's important. Interesting about Daniel is, Daniel is one of only a few people in all of the Bible whose lives are on display for us for a period of time. There are a few names mentioned where there are names mentioned in one verse. And, but of the people whose lives are on display for us in the Scriptures, there are very few who we see nothing indicated in Scripture of them sinning themselves. That's not to say Daniel was perfect. He wasn't. But there's nothing, to my understanding, recorded in Scripture that tells us that Daniel acted in a way that was contrary to God and His Word. Many of the great men and women in the Scripture who did wonderful things also screwed up. And it's recorded for us. Daniel's one that we never see that. And yet Daniel was saying, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Wickedly. We have rebelled. John Whitcomb in his commentary says, what made Daniel one of the God's greatest saints was not his sinlessness, but his sensitivity to the true depth of sin. He understood that sin 
was a holy offense to God. He knew it. And his heart was broken. And he saw it. We're going to come back to some of that. But let's look at the let's look at the petition. In the last the last uh, few verses of of the prayer. In verses 16 through 19. After Daniel, throughout this, this prayer, keeps coming back to this issue. God, this is who you are. And this is what we've done. You are completely righteous to deal with us. You said this. You dealt with us. And yet we still didn't turn. We still kept doing this. We still acted this way. Here's the petition. O Lord, in accordance with thy... With all thy righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from us, from the city of Jerusalem and from your people. In other words, God, your righteousness required that there be a disciplinary action. And it's, you said it was 70 years, and that 70 years is almost over, and so your righteousness is satisfied. And so now, Lord, would you be pleased to now turn your wrath away and restore your people. Forgive and restore is what he's asking for. Lord, forgive and restore. You ever wonder why 70 years? Did God just pull that out of the air? Did God just say, hey, you know what, 70 years sounds like a good number. I'll just, I'll just pick that out, and that's what I'll, I'll send them there for 70 years. Why 70 years? Let me tell you why. Because you go back to Leviticus 25. If you would like to turn there, and I'm going to read several of the verses here. In Leviticus 25, because we need to understand where did this come from? Because I want to show you a principle about who God is that is very important for us. Leviticus 25, as God was giving them their instructions of how they were to live when they got into the promised land, Leviticus 25, 1 and following. He says, And the Lord then spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I shall give you, and the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord, six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its crop. But during the seventh year the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Your, your harvest after growth you shall not reap, and your grapes of untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a sabbatical year. And all of you shall have the Sabbath products of the land for food. Yourself and your male and female slaves, your hired men and your foreign residents, those who live as aliens with you, even your cattle and your animals that are in the land shall have all its crops to eat. In other words, God says, not only is there every seventh day to be a Sabbath of rest for you, but every seventh year, you're to give the land rest. Every seventh year. Then in verse 8, he says, And you are also to count off seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, so that you have the time of the seven Sabbaths of years, namely 49 years. You shall then sound a ram's horn abroad on the tenth day of the seventh month of the Day of Atonement, and shall sound a horn all through your land, and you shall thus consecrate the fiftieth year, and to proclaim a release through the land to all of its inhabitants, 
It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his own family. So you've got every seventh year until you get to the 49th year. Then the 50th year is called the year of jubilee. God was setting free the captives. Anyone who, who sold themselves to another Israelite because they couldn't pay their debt and they worked it off at the end, on the 50th year, they were to be released back to their property. Any property that was, was taken over was to be given back so that the people continued in their lands. And this is God's established plan. By the way, the 50th year was also a sabbatical year for the land. So they went the 49th year without sowing or reaping, and then the 50th year. What are we going to eat? Look at verse 21. I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth a crop for three years. You're going to have enough in the sixth year. You won't have to reap on the seventh year or on the eighth year, which would be the 50th year of that, that, in that cycle. God said, I will, I will bless you. Why would God do that? I think farmers understand that the land needs a break every so many years, right? To replenish, renourish the nutrients. God was teaching his people to trust him for their daily bread. Turn to the next chapter in Leviticus 26. Starting with verse 32. He's now giving some words of warning and saying that if you don't do these things, here's what's going to happen. Come to verse 32 and he says, Now make the land desolate so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled over it. You, however, I will scatter among the nations and will draw out a sword after you and your land becomes desolate and your cities become a waste and the land will enjoy its Sabbaths all the days of the desolation while you are in your enemy's land and the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation it will observe the rest which it did not observe on your Sabbaths while you were living on it. And then verse 43, For the land shall be abandoned by them and shall make up for its Sabbaths while it is made desolate without them they meanwhile shall be making amends of their, for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statutes. So God says, you don't obey me, then I'm going to take you away and I'm going to let the land enjoy its Sabbaths that you neglected. That was God's word to them way back before they got in the land. Now you go all the way to Second Chronicles chapter 36. Last chapter, Second Chronicles. And now we're in the historical account of where Daniel is, right? The people have been taken captive. Verse 21 of Second Chronicles 36. Verse 21, and again, this whole section from verse 14 down through, and I'm not going to read all that, just verse 21, but he is, he is telling why, why the people were sent to Babylon. And it comes to verse uh, 20 and 21. 
those who escaped with a sword he carried away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. Verse 21, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath all the days of its desolation. It kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. Apparently, Israel, over the past 490 years or so, has not been celebrating Sabbath rest for them. I put a few of those years of Jubilee in there and maybe more like 480. But when you track that back from this historically back to 480, 490 years, you come to the time when they first asked for a king. We want a king to rule over us like all the other nations around us. We don't want you, God, to be our king. We want a, a king to sit on a throne in our country. Apparently, from that point on, around that time, on, all the way, they had never celebrated Sabbath rest for the land. Why? Well, because if, if we get this many crops in six years, seventh year is going to be like more crops for us. Why do many people work seven days a week now? I remember when I was in college and learning about, you know, how technology back in the 50s was supposed to, was, and, and computers, when computers were being invented, man, computers are going to help us to, to not have to work as hard. We'll have a four-day work week and a three-day weekend because we'll get more done, and so we'll be able to have more time off. Does that work? Guess what? The more we can produce, the more money we can make. So the more we work, the more money we have, the more stuff we get, the more, the more for us. Well, that isn't unique to America. That's the human nature. Israel felt that way too. They haven't been obeying God for 480, 490 years. So God said, okay. We're going to take you away, and the land's going to sit. And for 70 years, it's going to enjoy all those Sabbaths that you did not give them. What that tells me is this, that God is just, first of all. God said, this is what you did. Right? I'm going to discipline you based on this. And so 70 years is what you deserve for not giving the land a Sabbath rest. I'm going to send you away. And then the, when, the, when the punishment fit the crime, if you will, it's time to bring you back. The most important thing I want us to know is this. That God always, always keeps His word. 490 years later. Oh, God is patient. God is very patient. But God will keep His Word. We need to know that. We can look and say, God hasn't done anything yet, so therefore maybe God isn't going to. Well, if God said it, God's going to do it. Let me give you an example of how the world thinks regarding this. Look at Psalm 10.
Psalm 10, the, the writer here, probably David, but we're not told that for sure, gives us a glimpse of this mentality. I'm going to read the whole thing because we've got to get this in context. <clears throat> Psalm 10, why dost thou stand afar off, O Lord? Why dost thou hide thyself in times of trouble? In pride the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. He's looking and seeing that, that people are getting away with wrong stuff. And God doesn't seem to be doing anything. Verse 3, for the wicked boast of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, eh, there is no God. By the way, as I read this, think about present-day context. Verse 5, His ways prosper at all times. Thy judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his adversaries, he snorts at them. He says to himself, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not be in adversity. His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the hiding places, he kills the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. He lurks in the hiding place like a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. He crouches, he bows down, and the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones. And look at this. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He's hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, and do not forget the afflicted. Why has the wicked spurned God? Why? Now he has said to himself, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it. Thou hast beheld mischief and vexation to take it into thy hand. The unfortunate commits himself to thee. Thou hast been the helper of the orphan. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Seek out his wickedness until thou dost find them. Stop there for a minute. Think about this. 490 or so years before God acted. America hasn't even been in existence for 490 years. But oh, is there not this kind of thought process that goes on? <laughs> well, we, we've gotten away with it this long. We can get away with it. We can keep getting away with it. There's no accountability. In fact, there isn't even a God. So we're not accountable to someone that doesn't exist. And since he hasn't done anything yet, oh, be sure in that. Your sins will find you out. We need to know that God always keeps His word. When the time is right, God will act. God will deal with all that is wrong in this place, in this world. Daniel understands this. That's why he's praying this. Look at the last couple of verses. The writer is now looking, turning his face to God, turning away from the injustices uh, the, the oppressiveness and the sinfulness, and he turns his attention to God and says, the Lord 
is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from the land. O Lord, Thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt strengthen their heart. Thou wilt incline Thine ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed. That man who is of the earth may cause peril no more. One day, we don't know when it is, but one day, all wrongs will be made right. The king will return and he will take his own with him. And he will establish a new heaven and a new earth. And we will live with him forever. And he will reign as king forever and ever. Daniel says, O Lord, now that your anger and your wrath has been satisfied, would you now turn? Verse 17, So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. For thy sake, O Lord, let your face shine on the desolate sanctuary. Daniel, desperate for God to hear and answer his prayer. Oh God, hear what I have to say. Turn away the righteous wrath and let your face shine again upon us. Your favor will rest on us again. He knows he nor any of the Israelites, Jews, really deserve this. As he says in verse 18, right? Incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see all these desolations, the city is, which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of our own merits. Rather on account of your great compassion. Because I know you are a righteous God. And you have righteously judged your people for 70 years. But I also know you to be a compassionate God. And I appeal to you and your compassion. Would you hear? Would you heed? Would you believe? And restore your people. Oh Lord, verse 19, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen action for your own sake. His petition is forgive and restore, but then it is for His name's sake. It is for the glory of God that He asks this. Daniel's concerned about Jerusalem and the people of God. Why? Because Jerusalem was the city that God decided that His presence would dwell there in the temple, right? We know and they knew God cannot be contained in buildings. But God said, I will make my presence known here. And when you come to this place and pray to me, I will hear you. Jerusalem was a special city. It was the city of God. Israel, the Jews, they were the special people because they were the people of God. 
Daniel was concerned about that. But more, more than that, Daniel's concern primarily is for the Lord, for his reputation, for his name. He says in verse 17, do these things for thy sake, O Lord. Verse 19, do these things for thy sake, O Lord God, O my God. For your sake, for your name's sake. God's name represents him. And so when Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, he's saying, let's pray that God, God would be honored in this world, in, on this earth as it is in heaven. Honor would be due his name. So let me ask you a question. How concerned are you for God's honor? When you and I look at what's going on in our country, when you and I look at what decisions are being made in Washington, what is our concern? We're concerned because it's impacting us. It's going to. It's going to impact us financially. It's going to impact possibly the way we are able to function as a church. It can impact us, and we're concerned about that. But what about the honor and glory of God? Do we think about that? Oh, it isn't just starting now. It's been going on for a long time. God has been removed from just about everything in our society. Father Daniel. It was his primary concern. Bothered Moses. And God told Moses, man, these people are stiff-necked, rebellious people. I'm just going to wipe them all out and start over with you. And Moses said, oh no, God. Your reputation is at stake here. These are your people. What are, what are the rest of the nations going to say? God could not handle his people? Daniel's concerned because the city of Jerusalem has been sitting desolate for 70 years. And every other nation around knew, oh, Israel worshipped Yahweh. They claimed he was the one true God. Doesn't look like he's very powerful. <laughs> People are in, in bondage. They're in captivity. Daniel says, do it for you, God. Do it for your name. Do it for your glory. It's you that I care most about. Something to ask ourselves. Do I care about the glory care about the glory of God that's reflected in my life and the way I live my life. Because when people know that you're a follower of Jesus, 
watching you. What does that mean? Well, you're not different than anybody else I work with. Use the same language, tells the same jokes, talks about people negatively. I don't see any difference. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus if, if this guy over here doesn't have any clue about any of that or doesn't care and this one says he does? Or do they look and say, man, what is up with her? There's something different about her. There's something I can't explain. What, what exudes from her is so different than what I see in these other people that I, I interact with from around. There's a, there's a joy, no matter what's going on. There's a, there's a lightheartedness. There's just something. There's a genuineness. There's an authenticity that I see that I just don't, I don't experience that with people a lot. Well, let me conclude this way. Let me go back to the, the first point here. Sinful and rebellious people. Of those four, well, those, those six things he talked about. Where do you see yourself? Missed the mark. Yep, we're all there. I've committed iniquity. I've distorted the word of God. I've, I've, is that is that you? Hey, this is between you and God. To be honest, you know. Is that where I'm at? Do I, do I just look for things in the Bible that that can justify me and what I do, so I can feel okay about myself? Am I acting in ways that are contrary to God? Maybe I don't realize it fully. Maybe I'm not necessarily in His face about it. But it, I just, because I'm not in God's Word very very frequently, I, I don't really know what it says. So therefore, or is there something in your life that is an outright act of rebellion? You are cultivating something in your life that you know, you know it's not what God would want. You're doing it anyway. Maybe it has a hold on you. You want, don't, you want to break that, but you can't. Where are you? Have you turned aside from God's Word? Are you, have you just, is it just collecting dust? And maybe you bring it when you come here. But that's the only time you ever open it. Where do you see yourself in this? What are you doing about it? What are you going to do about it? Well, it's not about trying harder. Especially if you're caught in something. You probably already tried really hard and you can't get out. I know. What are you doing about it? Let me tell you what the Word of God says. The verse that we probably, most of us can quote by, by heart. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we confess. To confess means to agree with God. If, if I 
recognize right now where I, I am in that list and I say, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Here's where I'm at. And I come before God, agreeing with God that that's wrong. God says that He will justly forgive that. Why can He do that? Well, because He's already poured out His wrath on His Son on your behalf. He's dealt with the just part. He will forgive. And He will cleanse from all unrighteousness. He will forgive and He will restore. Restore relationships. Probably the hardest part for us is believing God and His Word. We say, well, but you don't know what I've been doing. God does. God's not surprised. When God had John write that verse, He knew what you were doing. He didn't, he didn't miss one of those things. He didn't say, well, you know, I didn't think about that one. I may have to revamp that verse and say, if you confess only these things, then I'll forgive. No. If you confess my sins, He will forgive. And He will cleanse us from all, all, all unrighteousness. Jesus said in John 10.10, I've come that they might have life and have it more Abundantly. God's desire is that you and I live an abundant Christian life. And that doesn't mean that we have stuff coming out our ears in this life. It means that we have a relationship with God in which we walk rightly with our God under the power of His Holy Spirit. And His Spirit is at work in us as we submit to Him. Just the other day I read in Isaiah 66 in my time with God. Part of verse 2 says, and this is the kind of person that God, God's favor rests on. The one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at His word. God's favor rests upon the person who, who is humble, submissive in spirit, who yields to the Lord. And who walks in the fear of God and His Word. That's, that's the abundant life. Well, this world has no idea of that. This world would say, you're crazy if submission uh, is, is abundance. But we, we read story after story after story of people who have it all when it comes to this world's riches. Fame. Fortune, accolades of all kinds, and yet they're miserable people. The suicide rate among millionaires is pretty high when you calculate how many millionaires there are and how many people have committed suicide over the years. So let me end where I started. We have the opportunity to speak to the great king of the universe. What are you asking for? What do you believe in God for? 
How big is your prayer? Do you really believe that God answers prayer? Do you really believe that God can forgive you? Do you really believe that God can restore relationship with somebody who is off on craziness right now? Do you really believe that our king is capable? That we ask him to. Gracious Father, we come before you knowing that you are able. God, help us to not just know it. Help us to believe it. For if we really believe it, then we will live it. Daniel believed you at your word when you said 70 years. He took that literally. God, when you tell us that everyone who does not put their faith in Jesus Christ will one day be cast into the lake of fire, help us believe that. When you say in your word that all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ will have their names written in the Lamb's book of life, and let the judgment will receive their reward and will be entered into glory with you. Help us to believe that. God, help us to believe when you say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us to believe that. So that when we confess, we can get up having been cleansed, rather than think we've got to live the next days, weeks, and months trying to make up for our sins. That's bondage, Lord. You set us in a large place of abundance. And you say, I've already dealt with it. You don't have to try and pay for it. It's done. It's finished. I forgive you. Now walk in your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that as we have contemplated where we are in this list of sins, where we find ourselves, that, Lord, we, we're able to do this and bring it to you. And truly experiencing the, the cleansing work of God in our life. Oh, may we ask and do things. Things that only you can do. Make it so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together.